Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about a really fascinating question about is there a standard of living that Christians should adhere to no matter how wealthy they become? Like, is it okay to have exorbitant wealth and have an extravagant lifestyle? Or is there some standard of living that should be the ceiling for Christians? Yeah, some kind of some kind of cap for for how exactly well to do you can be with a clean conscience as a Christian. Yeah, so this will be interesting. I think it'll get more interesting than it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's helpful. It's helpful with if not, you know, no one's thinking like, man, I well, have too much money. Yeah, well another but, another question, you know, way to, way to word this question. We had a listener who said, uh, you know, could we talk about whether the Bible promotes communism or socialism? Because in the New Testament church they all shared their possessions and everybody had everything they needed. Uh, would this be God's plan that some kind of socialist or communist uh, economic world, would that be really God's preference? Yeah, we could, we'll, we'll wrap it all in there. I think it's, it will be more interesting than it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> okay. First off though, it is story or joke time and it's your turn today. Okay. So one time this buddy of mine takes me golfing with uh Two other buddies. So there's another four of us. golf story. Yeah, <laughs> it's the best kind. Anyway, so uh, he invites me to play golf at this golf course. Um, that is an extremely it's, it's the most exclusive membership golf course I've ever seen. Well, so it's in the Dallas area and it is surrounded by houses, and the only members of the golf course are the people who live in the house. So it's like a park basically, but like a golf park kind of. And, uh, the only people who can play there are the members and their friends. Mm -hmm. And the cost of membership is the house. (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, it's way worse than that. (laughs) What they do is at the end of the year, they divide up how much it costs to operate the club and divide that by the number of houses. And you pay whatever that is. So it's extremely wow. expensive, but man, the treatment was insane. So we pull mm. into the gate. It's in a gated community, and uh, they're expecting us because we had a reservation. And so he's getting our names in the car, and I'm sure he's making notes about our shirt colors because we pull up to the top where we pulled into the golf course. Mm-hmm. And as we pull up, guy says, hey, Jim, Paul. You know, he starts calling Whoa. us by name, pointing at us because – He's been briefed on what shirts we're wearing. Yeah. And uh, you guys want something to eat? You know, you, you go ahead and walk over to the range. Your clubs will be there. Um, do you want anything you'd like to eat in your cart while we start? And uh, you just tell them what you want. And I said, uh, well, I'd like a Fresca. I was drinking diet drinks. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, you know what? We don't have Fresca, but uh, I'll have you some by the second hole. And he sent a what? guy in a car to a grocery store. <laughs> And bought frescas. <laughs> and then by the time we got to the second hole, every hole had ice chests at the tee box. And you could take anything you want out of the ice chest. And there were frescas in them from the second hole on. No way. Then you get to the ninth hole, and there's a chef under a big canopy tent thing. Mm-hmm. And he's cooking up anything you want. You want an omelet, you know, whatever. He's, he's You just order it. And there's no prices for anything. Everything's Holy just moly. given to you. And, I mean, they just treat you like this through the whole time. 
the guy who drove the car, they wash his car while we're playing golf. When we get back, his car's clean. I mean, the the customer service of this place was unreal. That's nuts. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, finally, a place that treats me the way I deserve to be treated. <laughs> right. Or at least half as good as the way you think you should be treated. Never been treated like that anywhere else in my life. It was an unbelievable experience. I don't even remember how I played. The golf course was great. But just, I mean, the customer service of this place was was just crazy. That reminds me, we were in um, in L.A. for a week in June. as like this big family retreat. And uh, we went to Disneyland, and you were blown away by just like the the um the bar the standard of that place oh man uh just the commitment commitment to every bush trimmed every sign perfect no uh, garbage no garbage anywhere uh if there was a flower bed that didn't have perfect plants it had a sign in it saying um this ground under repair kind of thing so that you would know that was not normal yeah uh yeah they disney man the details are everything. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. It reminds me, I don't remember the context. Maybe you can help me out. But when I was little, I don't remember exactly. We were in Colorado. So at the youngest, I could have been six, though I'm sure I was older than that. And at oldest, I could have been 14. I was probably around 10. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went to the Broadmoor, a five-star oh, hotel yeah. in Colorado. It's the only five-star in Colorado. Yeah. And uh, I remember, like, you know, maybe you were more observant than me. But I, as a kid, I didn't notice anything. Yeah. But there, you know, it was kind of hard to not notice that this place was different than other places I had been. Right. Just the the kind of um, the esteem about it and the customer care you get, just in just absolutely incredible. Yeah, so those places are kind of special for how um, I don't know what the term is. Snooty is the bad way to put it, but yeah, but. it's not like that. It's uh, I mean, it, you might call it snooty, but the they are thinking of every one of your needs, anticipating your needs, and responding immediately to your needs. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is the life that some people of great wealth get to live all the time, mm-hmm. where the world really does bend in their favor. Um, and that's a pretty awesome thing. It's a pretty, pretty fun thing. Let me ask you this, John. Yeah, if you, go for it. Before we dive into this um, biblical parameters of wealth and abundance. Sure. Uh, if, you had, if you had Bill Gates money, mm-hmm. what's a couple things you'd do? I'm not looking for the Jesus answer here. I'm, you know, <laughs> what would you well, ideally, do? Ideally, all my answers would be Jesus answers. Oh, uh, what, look, like it comes to me. A, it comes to me in a check. I'm just, <laughs> telling, I'm just telling you the how it should be. Okay, uh, it comes to me in a check, or I've had it already. Like, no, I mean, you have it all of a sudden. All of a sudden, you are you're a man who's worth billions. Hmm. So there's nothing you can't buy. I mean, Bill has bought an island. He has his own island. Uh, you know, there's just no limits. Billion, billions mm-hmm. is an is an unimaginable amount of money. I can't even. Well, that's what uh, I'm trying to get you to imagine is that basically limitless. That yes, that you have limitless wealth. Well, the reason I ask if it comes to me in a check, I tithe on the check, mm-hmm. so potentially Evergreen gets you know like five hundred million dollars. Not a bad thing. Not, yeah. <laughs> no, um, but I don't know how you tithe on that kind of wealth either because his income is coming from thousands. Yeah, of you're getting places. off track here. Just all right, play, play along. All right, all right, all right. Join the uh, fantasy. Obliterate the student debt of myself, not not like in general. <laughs> uh, me and Lindsay, that's okay. Wouldn't even you wouldn't even notice. I don't yeah. think that's not even interest over two hours of time. Yeah, uh, get Lindsay a new car, uh, and get us a house. Would you want a private plane? No, 
No, no, no. No? No, because like what? Like ninety nine percent of all plane crashes are private planes. I don't want to. I'll just fly. I'll fly a coach. It's fine. Oh, or I'll you, fly. I'll get to fly first class. Yeah, be, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't fly coach. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, um, I'd probably believe it or not, I'd keep my car. I'd fix it. No, you. Wouldn't. I th- I would like to. Yeah, I don't. That stuff. It's too much pressure, man. So you don't. You don't. You're not really into material things. Well, some stuff. I would get a new computer. My new. My desktop is showing its age. Yeah. Uh, so I'd fix that sucker up. Pro man, I don't know. Would you see the world? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where I'd go. <laughs> you're what you're really asking. What you're what you're learning from this about me is how low my bar is. It's pretty low. That's pretty sweet. Standard. Yeah, yeah. You, you're gonna be happy. I'd get a new pair of shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd eat out a lot. You wouldn't buy a shoe store. No, I don't. I don't know. I, I should diversify, I guess, huh, with that. This is really interesting. We're, we we better get back on course. Well, okay, hold on. So what I'm learning about this for myself is that it's all selfish stuff. I didn't think, oh, I'll give it to these places. Except well, the I wasn't asking for that. I was trying, That's what I'm saying. Give me the – I was just looking for the lifestyle adjustments you would make. You I know, mean, you basically got it. You buy a house. You'd, yeah, yeah. A house, car, uh, debt, and then probably um, – I'd probably not work, right? I mean, you have billions of dollars. I'd have Lindsay not work. Well, managing that kind of money is work. Yeah, true. Well, what do you think God thinks about money? Well, it's interesting. I think that uh, particularly if you go to the Old Testament, he, he's always promised provision um, that he'll take care of us. Mm-hmm. And attached to obedience to God in the Old Testament is provision. I will bless you. Sure. And certainly that, that turned into a monetary anticipation. Uh, you see Abraham, the father of our faith, that he was incredibly wealthy. You see Jacob mm-hmm. as he uh, gets in line with God. So uh, abundance is not something God would avoid. I don't, sure. I don't think it's something God cares about. I think, I think money to God is a thing. It's a tool. It is something that can reveal uh, the condition of our hearts. It mm-hmm. can reveal our selfishness, or it can reveal our generosity. Uh, but I think that what God cares about most is our character and uh, the development of our character. And so money, as it pertains to that, that's why he cares about money. Yeah. So then do you think that, I mean, not that obviously God is constant, but what changed from uh, promising fiscal prosperity to Jesus kind of um, very often mm-hmm. cautioning against um, wealth? Yeah, I don't. I don't know when I when I think of Jesus cautioning about wealth. I I hear uh, him saying that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's a that's a crazy thought. Like sure. it would be easier to jam a giant <laughs> camel through the eye of a sewing needle, right? Than for a rich guy to get. So there's some obstacles there. I had somebody tell me I, I mentioned that in a message one time all the way back in Denver. Mm-hmm. And I had a person take me on about it. And they said, you're totally misleading people. Uh, the eye of a needle was a gate into Jerusalem. And uh, it was a gate that was very low to the ground. And camels could get through it if they got on their knees. And if you took all the possessions off their, all the load off their back, they, mm-hmm. could, they could shimmy through there. I researched everywhere I could find. <laughs> and... Uh, the best I could do is people saying that people have said this, but there is no archaeological evidence to support that. Sure. And when I look at that story, 
the reaction of the disciples tells me everything because they go, holy crap. Right. That's not in the Bible, but that's what they were saying. <laughs> in the, the ancient Hebrew. That's the Hebrew, yeah. yeah. And, and, and they said, well, who then can be saved? I mean, that's how shocking this was to them. Mm-hmm. Who then can be saved? So clearly, you know, money has a seductive power to us. And what it does is it enables us to be as selfish as we desire to be. Mm-hmm. And so that's the real, uh, to me, that's the real hazard well, I think, yeah, that, that comes to light when you ask that question that you asked, you know, what do you do with this money? All the answers are, are And I was purely thinking selfishly. Like, I was I was wondering if I would have a jet, if what I want to learn how to fly and fly the jet myself. Yeah. Uh, would I want to, um, you know, how nice a car would I drive? Right. You know, what kind of house would I live in? Yeah. Well, so here's, the, then I think what we're, what we're dancing around is the, the limit, right? So when we think of the rich young ruler. Mm-hmm. We think, can a a person who's right with God, a disciple, you know, a, a, a born again, you know, right, right. Christian, can they be that wealthy? Like, uh, like all, we have all sorts of stuff about, um, you know, the mega pastors with the, with private jets. Sure. And all these people saying, well, they must be watering down the gospel. They must be. Well, and doing the, the, the wrong. problem with that example is they are using the, the giving oh, the church. of others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To buy to buy their jets, and yeah. so that's a different thing. I would sure. I would want to parse that out as a different example. No worries, but that's a good. Yeah, but good I, point. but I think that um, you never see uh, Jesus say to someone that their wealth is a problem, that that money's a bad idea. In fact, uh, the women who followed him around and met all of his needs were women <laughs> of great wealth, and so um, wealth, uh, evilly attained, is a problem. Wealth that begins to be master of your heart is a problem. Um, wealth that you refuse to share or honor God with is a problem. Sure. So I think those, you know, I think we can get our arms around those. I want to ask the question, you know, how much is enough? Mm-hmm. And what are we supposed to do if we have more than enough? And is there a standard of living above which someone would say, well, that's kind of gaudy. Sure. For a Christian to live there, no matter how much wealth they have. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is a hard question for us to ask, because here's what I know. I've I've known a few uh, multimillionaires in my lifetime. A few? I have. And as friends. And they're amazing people. Mm-hmm. And people assume, who don't have that kind of wealth, they make a lot of assumptions. Sure. That they are selfish, that they are somehow compromising with integrity or, you know, uh, there's a lot of negative assumptions about people of wealth, mm-hmm. and that's a real problem. Um, and what I find with these folks is they are humbled by their wealth. Everyone I've known has been very humbled by the abundance that they have and wanting to make really smart, faithful decisions about sure. how to glorify God with their wealth. So, I, man, I think thing number one I want to declare mm-hmm. is that God does not have a problem <laughs> with rich people. Sure. In fact, uh, many people have been given by God the gift, the ability to to create wealth. I mean, there are some. There's a distinct thing there. There's people who can do that that other people just can't do. Mm-hmm. And so, I do consider it a gift. And in the kingdom of God, it typically is matched with a gift of giving. That they also have an incredible ability to give large amounts of money For sure. and do some great things. So. Uh, I want to set that aside because uh, I want to put this in the in the realm of the playing field that we live in. Okay. For example, John, if I asked you, 
uh, how much money per year? Like if you could right now say uh, the lifestyle that, that, that Lindsay and you want to live and it would enable you to pay off your student loans, you know, own a home, mm-hmm. drive decent cars, raise a kid or two. You know, you guys, you got to give me some grandkids. <laughs> of course. Uh, you know, uh, this life that you would love, what would the annual income need to be to provide that life for you? Well, I'm not saying somebody's giving it to you that you right. guys are able to earn. I'm pretty ignorant about things, but uh, if I had to throw a number on, I'd say household income of uh, 100000 should be plenty. Okay. Um, you will be surprised when you get there how how not far $100,000 can go. Right. That's what I'm, I'm thinking. Uh, particularly when you have kids. Like. Oh. There, were, there was a point. Well, I wasn't the, I, I, I was <laughs> not thinking, thinking about the, about two the of kids. You. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. a pretty good income for two people. Yeah. Uh, there was a time when, when we pastored in Montana, and we had a family of seven on $34,000 a year. So Holy smokes. Uh, so, you know, that you, goes further in Montana in the 80s it, than it, it does really here. Does. Yeah, because you can eat what you kill. You can heat your house with free wood. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, so just think about that. So say hundred thousand. I'm going to give you the. I'm going to give you the gift of saying one hundred and fifty. Sure. Okay. So <laughs> okay. Here's my question. Okay. Let's say you start earning, and I'm not talking about people giving it to you. You're working hard. You're living on less than you make. You're a productive employee. Both of you are. You're producing wealth for the people you work for. Whatever. Blah blah blah. It's all good. And let's say your income hits two hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. What should you do with the extra fifty? How, how how should a person manage that? And is 150 is that a is that a good biblically safe answer? Would would God have a different answer for you? Would He say no, John? You know you mm-hmm. you can live on 60. <laughs> uh, or yeah. would He say, hey, I don't have a problem if you have 500,000. Well, so for one, those those jumps don't happen like that, right? You don't go from 150 to 200. It's like over the course of years, and then you as is the American way, you mm-hmm. you fit the container you're in. No right? doubt about it. Yeah, so maybe the answer isn't, um, it does 200, is that is that beyond what's biblical now? But if I'm keeping the relationship healthy with money, like regardless of the amount. Right, right. Right, so say, like, I don't know if it would be, hey, actually give all of that 50 in givings. It might be. If that's the ratio I have. Sure. But then before then, at 150, it should have been, hey, give 30 away in givings, because that's the same ratio. Okay. Maybe. So question number one is, does God have a number? Yeah. Does God have a number where he says that's enough and everything above that is too much? No. So I'm going to say no. I don't think he does. Well, let's, because the, the original example is Bill Gates, which is extreme. He's, you know, one yeah, so of the wealthiest I, people in the world. And that's easy for us to detach ourselves. Let, I want right. to stay in the realm of where we live. Well, I just, I just want to know, because... There are people who have an unimaginable amount of wealth. Mm-hmm. Is is there any limit? Because I would say maybe if you're in the billions, I don't, I don't, well, don't want to make a command statement. You but. have you have Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, and they're creating a movement among these elite wealthy mm-hmm. to give a ton away. Uh, Bill Gates gives in the billions away. Warren Buffett Dang. is giving in the billions away. Uh, both of those guys have set limits on what their kids can inherit. And the rest is making the world a better place. They do. Gotcha. They, they are embracing that they are in a unique position to be accountable to change the world. So that's pretty cool. I didn't know any of that. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, 
But that's not to say that their lifestyle, you might still look at their lifestyle and go, man, that's extravagant. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And I don't think it's fair to, we shouldn't compare and we shouldn't judge. And it's not fair for, uh, for us to judge a lifestyle that we don't have the same opportunity to live. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, we end up struggling to get our arms around something we can't even experience. Yeah. So I want to keep this in the realm of ours. Yeah, go for it. So, um, you know, one of the things, so there's a book uh, I read years ago. It's really, really powerful. It's called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. Hmm. And here's the notion that globally we have hunger crises. Yeah. We have water crisis. What, how should biblical Christians live who have abundance in a world where there is poverty? This is a this is a real fundamental question, and let's say you let's say you live in uh, Deer Lodge, Montana, where I was living <laughs> on thirty four thousand dollars a year, yeah, and you're living on thirty four million. Now we're not even talking about global poverty; we're talking about your community. Mm-hmm. You are out outrunning your entire community. Is there an obligation on you because of this to live differently? So that's kind of where I want to go with this idea sure. of. Uh, Christians of wealth in a world of need and how does that work from a God's perspective? What we know, for example, is that we don't have a uh, supply problem in the world. We have a distribution problem. Hmm. So there is enough food in the world to feed everybody. Really? Oh, yeah. It's just clustered in in clusters. Um, That makes sense, actually. So it's not readily available. Water. We have enough water so that everybody could drink. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's just not available everywhere. Sure. So uh, the the question is then, um, who has the responsibility for distribution so that everybody has access? So that's a global picture. We start thinking about this in a, in, you know, I it's hard for me to get my brain around mm-hmm. solving world water problems. Yeah, that's um, so clearly as I as I get intense. into generosity targeted other places and my own mission and all that, I can I can dabble in that. So let's keep it in the circle of where you live. So the question, John, if if you say, okay, my number is 150. I really think that if I had $150,000, I could live in a lifestyle where I'm generous. I'm providing for retirement. I'm you know, going to leave an inheritance for my kids' kids. I'm going to uh, have a home I can entertain my friends in. I can live you know, a, a reasonable, comfortable life here. Mm-hmm. At what point, is there a point at which you start feeling guilty about how much money you have? Is there a number where that starts to happen? Uh, not in the scenario where you're giving money away, right? So, um, you know, like you're saying, like say you meet that number and then uh, um, on top of that or or if you, I, I'm a big believer in the conscience, not that it can't lie to you, mm-hmm. um, but generally if you are aware of the um, biblical principles of really anything, but in this case, money. Right. Um, your conscience is gonna, you know, is gonna more or less tell you it's it's conviction of the spirit is really what it is. I shouldn't say conscience. Um, but if you're no, I'll, the simple answer no. If you're if you're making any amount of money, but you are, uh, at the you know obviously bare minimum tithing and then giving percentages on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I would agree with what you said earlier, and that there isn't <clears throat> isn't a limit I could think of. Okay, so, um, so I think we both agree that 
there is not a level of wealth that is too high where that's shameful that you're producing that kind of income. Right. So then the question becomes, well, how do I, how do, how does God expect me to steward that? So let's, let's diverge for a second into that socialism, communism question. Mm-hmm. Um, in your church, let's say, you know, right, right, right here in Olympia, Washington, you have church family members. Um, we have a, we have a, a, a gal and her husband who are about to be living in their car. Hmm. Um, you might have a situation where a single mom, like her kid can't play sports for the school. So hmm. uh, can't get in the soccer league. Um, whatever. I mean, there's always challenges. Rent needs to be paid. And they, because they had a car breakdown, they had to use their rent money to fix the car. And so they don't have enough money to cover their rent. How is the, how do you think God wants the haves in the body of Christ right. to respond to the have-nots? I think it's he's pretty clear about that in you know the writings for the early church, right? Acts and um, Corinthians and you know Paul's writing Paul's letters to the early churches. So um, you know the um, wealthy gave to their ability the the poor to their ability. Uh, I think the big difference when you come into like like a government example, like a like a socialism, is that it wasn't compulsive in the church. They mm. didn't have to. Right, right. Uh, it was the um, it was all kind of out of their out of their own their uh, promptings. Right. Yeah. So, um, but but the idea is kind of the same, right? It was a community uh, where the needs were met, and I think that's still if you were to you know the church kind of has a lot of flat going on for it now, but. Uh, of of the things the church does well, I think this uh, the church is you know our church if I can brag about it does that well mm-hmm. with um, uh, ECC cares and stuff like that where right. um, if they you know if they alert the church to their need you know then it's brought up on a Sunday and you can give money to that so uh, that system still works. Do you mean on like a living scale? What was your example again? I'm so sorry. Well, with no, the, that's good. I, yeah. I, I'm 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 thinking about should there be in the book of Acts, it says one of the testimonies about the the Christians in the mm-hmm. city was that there were no needy people among them. Yeah. Everyone's needs were met. And it was because some people who had two houses would sell one, bring the money to the apostles. They would distribute it to those who had need. And so there was no poverty among them. Okay. They didn't gotcha. all have the same standard of living, but there's no poverty among them. Yeah. That, that level of um, community wealth is not, not modernized, I guess. Um, like, like, I don't know of churches that do that. Well, and, and so you, we got to integrate this into some other principles because, um, first of all, the, 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 the simple question, you know, does God want us to be communist where, where sure. all the things are communal mm-hmm. communism in the way it's been practiced in our modern world is more of a religion than it is a government. But, uh, we're talking about the, the idea right. of equal wealth for everybody. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't I don't think God ever has that in mind. In fact, the parables that Jesus told uh, talk about um, the disparity of guys who are able to manage ten talents versus a guy who can manage only five. Mm-hmm. They are entrusted with what their abilities can produce. And I well, I think one of the things that's really um, kind of distinct is the the idea of um, or or no idea of, of ownership. And and you've talked about this recently, but. Um, you know, that that we as people of faith 
recognize at least um, intellectually that we don't own anything, that it's all of God's. Right. So that makes that whole idea different where it's not um, like, like one man selling one of his houses to give to the church isn't relinquishing what he owns. It's just stewarding it the way he felt prompted yeah. by God to steward it. Yeah. And sharing. Well, and you referred to the rich young ruler earlier. Mm-hmm. When you think about that, that scenario, Jesus says to this guy, cause he's saying, what, what must I do to have eternal life? There's something he feels missing inside of him. He, Jesus mentioned the commandments. He says, well, I've kept all those. Yeah. If he's telling the truth, he's doing a, a pretty good job, pretty good job. And, uh, Jesus says, sell all you have, give to the poor. You'll have. So what Jesus is saying, I think, is treat your possessions like they're not yours mm-hmm. and be willing to do with them whatever the master asks. That is a different way to word that hmm. than give all you have. Because truly, if you're a steward, it's not yours in the first place. So in that example, then Jesus was saying to him what he knew the rich young ruler didn't want to would part not with. be willing to do. Right. Not that it was a message to everybody. Right. That's very interesting. Yeah. So then, so, so there's the principle of like, well, money cannot be ownership of my heart. I can't put my trust in it. I can't build my security on it. I can't worship mm-hmm. it. So that's my personal stewardship of money. And it, and it all belongs to God. So therefore God has the right to ask me to do with it, whatever he wants me to do. And I should obey. So that's, that's that impulse. Then you have these other principles that kind of, add tension to the whole picture. For example, um, widows. Mm -hmm. Paul has some strong instructions for the church about taking care of widows. He says, uh, don't give money to the young widows who could remarry or who have family to take care of them. In other words, don't remove their personal responsibility. Very interesting. Then you have the scripture that says, if a man not work, let him not eat. So if a person is capable of working, but they're not working and they're hungry, mm-hmm. the instruction of the scriptures would not be feed him forever. So he never has to work. The instruction of the scripture would be help this man developmentally, get him positioned so that he can do a job and earn his food because this glorifies God. Mm-hmm. And it brings dignity to him to be a worker, to produce with his, with his body what he needs. Sure. So uh, all of our benevolence, all of our generosity should be developmental. I know of a pastor in a, in a town, he has a giant pile of rocks on the church property. <laughs> and when people come asking for food and rent assistance, he says, man, happy to do it. Uh, what I'd like you to do is move that pile of rocks from over there to over there. And when you're done, I'll give you I'll give you all the food you need and for no reason other than to have them just move the to rocks. move the rocks. If they say, "Well, I, I'm not going to do any work for you," well, then I don't have anything for you. Uh, living out this principle: if a man not work, let him not eat. Hmm. Then the next guy comes. He says, "Well, I need you to move those rocks from there over to there." And they just he just has them move the rocks to let them know, "Hey, we're for you, and we're going to help you, and you're going to help yourself." Hmm. It's this principle. So. Uh, for that reason, I don't think communism, socialism, would be the God's uh, ideal economy because it, it it discourages hard work and it encourages laziness. Yeah, that sense of um, lack of accountability, I guess, makes sense. And as a, I don't, that, that's almost a whole discussion on if human government is, should be about how things ought to be or how they are. 
you know, kind of oh, that. Oh, true, yeah. Uh, and how God's economy is probably going to look really different when we're, you know, not It's a great falling. point. When we get to heaven, is there going to be um, a reward for those of us with immortal bodies who work harder than those right. who don't? That's a great point. You know, maybe altruistically, we should all work with every ounce of energy we have for the glory of God, and we could all have equal distribution of wealth for the glory of God because we're not measuring ourselves by what we own, you know, that kind of thing. And I want yeah. to correct myself. I said communism and socialism. I don't mean to blanketly state those. I'm talking about the idea of generosity that's developmental versus generosity that is not attached to inspiring you to better. Gotcha. So I have a, I have a question. Uh, we maybe, yeah, we'll do our, our uh, commercial break first. And then I want you to answer why is it, because um, we've we've kind of given money a neutral moral tone here that it, mm-hmm. that it's morally um, uh, blank. Right. Why is it that Jesus talks so much about money, and why is it so important? Mm-hmm. Um, because here it seems kind of like I don't know. It seems to me like it's almost just a a tool, a tool that can right. do some damage. But um, but we'll get to that. So okay. Uh, uh, who who are we? What do we do? So, uh, man, I want to just tell you guys about the mission of Jim and John and Upstream. We we really feel prompted by God to produce this podcast and to produce some things in writing that help people go further in their faith. And um, that's kind of the mission we're on together. So we just want to encourage you to uh, consider coming alongside with us and joining us in this mission. You could do that in a few ways. You can subscribe to the podcast. That helps us. You can uh, encourage someone else. Maybe uh, it would be a huge favor for us if you just introduce this podcast to one friend uh, next week. That would be awesome. And then, of course, you can go to our website, uh, jimandjohn.com, J-O-N, no H in the John. Mm-hmm. Uh, jimandjohn.com. You can go there and you can um, leave us comments, uh, engage in our blog, uh, follow us on Instagram. Uh, just kind of get involved with us. And then if for those who really feel committed to this mission with us, can join us on Patreon where you can do some monthly support as low as a dollar a month to help this mission go further faster. That might be the most succinct, thorough commercial break we've ever had. That was great. <laughs> well, I've been thinking about it a little bit because I feel like we ramble sometimes on that part. <laughs> that's funny. Well, yeah, that's, that's basically it. Uh, if you're listening to this, you're already doing us uh, a Big huge favor. favor. We're Big very, favor. very grateful for you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, just make sure that, make sure you don't miss an episode, hit that follow button whenever, uh, yep. whenever you park your car or if you're listening at your desk or something, just, uh, before you forget, uh, and yeah, it's huge, huge help. It is. Okay. So why is it, um, I mean, this is a huge question. Yeah. So why the warnings about money? Yeah. And cause he spoke about it more than love, right? Or something. I, I love this. is the only subject he talks about more than money and possessions. Yeah. So why more than, more than heaven and hell combined? Why? That's a lot. He, it is a lot. Yeah. Well, as you know, and you're a newly married guy, you're you're really wanting to get out of the apartment living into the house living. Um, you'd like to have a fenced yard for your little mutt Romo to run around in. <laughs> right. uh, you know, you just, more, just, more likely just lay lay on. <laughs> Money is uh, it's a big part of our lives, mm-hmm. and um, because of that, it has the power. And we say money. You say, well, money doesn't change people, but. Um, what's the first thing they've done a lot of research on people who've won lotteries Hmm. and the first thing a person does who wins a lottery is quit their job 
Oh, <laughs> number one thing that makes do. sense. Yeah. So, so that means, well, that's, that changed you. Yeah. That, so, uh, it turns out that work is a really important thing. Now they mm. may switch and start managing their money as their work, but generally the idea is they just quit their work. And right. They're going to live off of their winnings. Right. Something like 78% of lottery winners are bankrupt in a very short span of time. Holy moly. So, it's not surprising, though. Yeah. 70, 70-some percent of NFL players are bankrupt within five years of retirement from the NFL. Wow. So um, money is a, is a really mysterious thing. There's a spirit that can attach to it. Uh, Jesus used the word mammon. You cannot serve both hmm. God and mammon. Mammon is a word that's not just... Uh, the object of money, but it's a spirit attached to it. It's a sure. thing. So uh, when Jesus told the parables of the seed and the sower, he talked about the seed that fell among the weeds. And he said, the weeds that choke out the work of God in your life are riches, pleasures, and the worries of this life. Hmm. You can attach money to all three of those. Riches, obviously. Pleasures require money. And the worries of this life, we usually worry about things that money could solve. Right. So uh, it has an enormous ability to choke out the activity of God in your life or to stimulate it. But to stimulate the work of God in your life, it requires a sacrifice, a generosity, a giving away, a ruling over money. And it's just really, I think it's innately hard for us. Yeah, that, um, the, the, the seed part specifically, the, with the, um, the worries, I think, is a, is a mm-hmm. huge deal. So, where you, you know, money is a is a, it's like kerosene. It's like it's like an acting agent, you know. So, say you an accelerant, an accelerant. Yeah, exactly. So, if you have problems, um, is is the fear then, or or the reason Jesus spoke so much about it is because money takes the place of, um, of God so often. You know, you can't serve yeah. God in money. Is it you know you. Uh, when you're afraid, you wish for money, not for God. That that kind of idea. Well, I think money creates power. Hmm. So, um, better to be a wealthy person in our legal system than a poor person. Sure. Um, better to be a wealthy person in almost any scenario. So it creates power. You get influence. People of elite wealth have elite level influence. They can get in to meet with people that you and I can't get in to meet with. So. Uh, money creates power and it falsely gives a sense of security, takes away your worries. Like uh, you think, and I have found, and I think maybe I'm maybe unusual in this regard, having more money actually creates more anxiety in me than not having it. Well, I I wouldn't know, but I, I believe it. (laughs) (laughs) So, but, but, but having no money creates lots of work. Man, there's no stress like money stress. In, yeah. my, in my life experience, I have found very little that exhausts me and defeats me and crushes me more than hard money problems. Hmm. So, uh, so then the, having money makes you maybe pray less because you're trusting God less because I, sure. can, you know, I, can, I can write a check. I can solve this problem. <laughs> right. So I think those are all factors um, about that. Let me go back to the Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger book because there's oh, this yeah. idea there that I think is really worth considering. First of all, the, the idea that uh, pick a lifestyle at which you say, I think God would be okay with this and this is the lifestyle I'd like to have. Right, that, that 150 that or whatever. That 150 number or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, most of us don't think about that. 
And so the, uh, the answer to the question, well, how much money do you need? Just a little more. That's always <laughs> the answer, no matter how much you make. Yeah. Just a little more. And so uh, that's one crazy idea right there is to start off and say, I think this would be the life, right? And start to pray for that and, um, and set your goal there. Because the question would be, is a 10% tithe to God your only financial obligation, no matter how rich you are? And, and I would say no. I would say, I would argue that uh, an abundance of wealth mm-hmm. puts you in a position where you have maybe a corresponding responsibility to steward that wealth toward uh, constructive things outside of yourself. Did I make sense with that sentence? Yeah, yeah. So the, um, not so much maybe the to whom little is, uh, what is it? To whom much is giving, much is required. Yeah, but that, and then that's very much the idea. Faithful with little will be faithful with with, right. with much. So you want to be faithful with a tithe, no matter how little you make. That's the responsibility. If I'm faithful mm-hmm. with a little, then I'll be faithful with a lot. But that actual requirement increases with your wealth. It does because to whom much is given, then much is required. Uh, with great power comes <laughs> great responsibility. Yeah, quoting one of my favorite movies. Yes. So call back to the movie episode. <laughs> So if you so so the idea of the rich Christians in age of hunger, one of the ideas is called a graduated tithe. Hmm. So it's the notion that I'm going to give to God the first ten percent of my income. Let's say that number is a hundred thousand. Then for the uh, up up to the time I'm making a hundred gray, God gets the first tenth. Mm-hmm. But if I make a hundred and ten, then that year God gets ten percent of the first hundred, and He gets twenty percent of the next ten. Then if I make one twenty. He gets 20% of the, of the 10. He gets 30% of the next 10. There's a lot of math I'm not ready to do right it's now. It's actually quite simple, though, as you get going. It's like, it's same as our tax structure. People think okay. we have a 15% tax. No, we have a graduated tax plan, so you'll have your average tax overall, but our taxes are this gotcha. way, too. Anyway, the notion would be that as you get more wealth than you said is my bullseye, more of it is going away. I get to win with some of that, and mm-hmm. I give more of that away than proportionally than the previous amount. It doesn't really matter what the math is. The point is that you're thinking ahead how I'm going to handle abundance. Instead of just thinking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and that's what that was kind of, um, maybe this may seem kind of like semantics, but the idea is generally to think about um, wealth as, as Jesus th- talks about it as, as a tool for um, a tool yeah, and a threat. And I would say this, if I'm a steward, okay, let's say you're managing money for an owner mm-hmm. and he has entrusted you with a hundred thousand dollars and all of a sudden he brings you another hundred. Your first question would be, why did he give me that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right? What does he want me to do with this? Right. We rarely ask that question when we get more money. Very true. If you if you go to work tomorrow and they give you a dollar an hour raise, really your first question ought to be, "Oh Lord, thank you. What do you want me to do with this?" Mm-hmm. Because he's the one who gave it to you. In our in our faith system, all money comes from God. So, really, I think for me to boil this down, I think the answer is every dollar belongs to God. And my first question as a follower of Jesus should be, thank you, Lord, for this. What do you want me to do with it? Yeah. And I have to confess, that's not my first question. 
No, the yeah. I mean, like like you said, the first question is, um, what what more can I do with this? Filling that filling the space here, and what more can I do with immediately, this? Immediately, I'm a pretty imaginative guy, <laughs> right. and I start coming up with a lot of ways that money could be spent. In fact, for every ten extra dollars I get, I find forty dollars worth of ways to spend it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's great. What's your takeaway from all this, John? Um, well, I'm, I'm, I confuse even myself sometimes. My takeaway is in the parable of the seeds with the, the choking, the choking. And it's actually that one of those strands is pleasure. And, uh, I know there's a lot written about the, um, perils of earthly pleasure, but I never thought about how, um, pleasure in your, in your life could actually be one of the things that chokes out the um, work of God in you. Yeah. That's, that's pretty incredible one of the three things he lists there and in a financial sense it definitely makes sense but also just in your in your life that the more um fulfillment you're finding outside of god the less you're going to look for him and the less mm-hmm. you're going to pay him any mind um so that's what re- for, for whatever reason i've because i've read that before obviously but, but it, it didn't didn't catch me like that yeah so that's my takeaway actually is that that's, is a, that that's a good one pleasure's dangerous sometimes yeah finding your Focusing your your uh, pleasure, fulfillment, objectivity, your yeah. goals, focusing any of that away from God is a dangerous thing. Yeah, very much. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, I think mine is. Uh, I think I, the aha for me is that last one we just talked about because it just really popped in my heart that any time money comes my way, I really want to create the habit where my for first sure. question is, "Okay, Lord, what are you bringing this to me for?" Mm-hmm. Is it so I can improve the vehicle I drive? Is it so that I can improve my home and entertain more people in my home? <laughs> right. Is it so that I can pay off part of my daughter's student loans? Is it no? Or your said, sons? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, is it because I've got a family down the street here who needs uh, a little help? Hmm. Um, I think that's mine. Yeah, that's huge. If if I mean, if anyone could think with that kind of um, priority list, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That would probably that'd be huge. Yeah. Well, here's what I would finish with our listeners. Hey, we love you. We we're grateful for listening, and may you may your uh, life prosper even as your walk with God prospers, because I think prosperity in that sense of wholeness and fulfillment and abundance that God wants that for you. And then for you to steward that abundance, both in terms of happiness, health, wholeness, joy, relationships, money, possessions. May he abundantly bless you and may you steward that well for his glory. That is so awesome. Well, we're here every Monday at 8 a.m. Uh, if you, we mentioned Patreon earlier. If you give $1 on there, you can get it. If you're a weekend listener, you can get it on Fridays instead of Mondays. Yep. Uh, two, three days early. Yeah. Friday morning. Uh, and there's all other benefits on there. Really, it's about partnering with us uh, in our kind of our goal. Um, but that's on there if uh, if you guys want. But either way, we'll see you next week. All right. Have a great day.